What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands, and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. Welcome to episode number 42 of the Marine Layer Podcast with TJ Matthewson and Lyle Goldstein. On today's pod, we have our Mariners storylines. Mariners make their first trade of trade deadline season. Excited to see how this ramps up as the days go along. We'll go down on the farm and pick out our standout Mariners minor leaguer, all the regulars with our MLB wraparound, Russell Wilson umpire of the week, and we'll close out the show with Speak Your Mind. As always, a reminder, if you're listening on our audio platforms, make sure to check us out on YouTube, head over to YouTube, hit subscribe, turn the notification bells on, like, comment, do all that stuff. If you're listening on YouTube and watching on YouTube, check out check us out on the audio platforms too. Apple, Spotify, Google, Amazon. Go follow us. Go download our episodes. Give us a five-star review. It helps us out big time. And as always, you want to follow us on social media as well, which we do a bunch of unique stuff there. Instagram, TikTok, Twitter, YouTube shorts, at Marine Layer Pod. Let's get it rolling. And we welcome you to this episode of the Marine Layer Podcast, part of the Just Baseball Podcast Network, recording here on Thursday, July 27th. And I've come to the conclusion, Lyle, that we are major jinxes. Oh, we totally jinxed Julio. In the most positive way, between our conversation with Matt, what we talked about for Wednesday's show, we totally jinxed him. Because here he goes in that twin series, he hits three homers in two days. So shout out us, shout out the Marine Layer Pod. If you need a jinx, if there's somebody on the Mariners that you think needs to turn things around, send it our way. We'll say something here on the pod. We'll jinx them. We'll do the reverse jinx, and then they can turn it around and start going off. Remember how well, last year? Remember how last year? How Trevor Plouffe for John Boy pronounced the Mariners dead, and then they ripped off 14 in a row. Uh, that's just our version of it, right here. I think so. We did beg Trevor when we met him at the All Star Game watch party with John Boy that uh, to please pronounce the Mariners dead, and he wouldn't do it. He, he just flat out wouldn't do it. So. We did think we had to take things into our own hand. I'm disappointed. I, I I forget the exact caption that Julio put on his latest Instagram post where he was, it was something about struggles or whatever. I, I'm disappointed there was no credit of the Marine Layer pod in there. It's like, thank you guys for doubting me. And I turned it around just for you. Julio said in his latest Instagram post, you might see me struggle, but you'll never see me quit. Thank you at Marine Layer pod. Go follow them for all their great Mariners content. Julio said it, not us. Well, in this alternate in this alternate reality that we're throwing out there. So is that caption more is that caption more along the lines of that tweet or that X or whatever you want to call it now, where it's like quarterback tweet, running back tweet, tight end tweet, wide receiver tweet. Is that a wide receiver tweet or caption Instagram post? I feel like that's more of a quarterback tweet. You'll see quarterbacks talk about that when they're going through a rough patch. They'll say Something like that. Like, you're never going to see quitting me. I'm going to give it my all. I feel like that's along the lines of what Julio's doing. He's the quarterback of this team. I don't know who would give the wide receiver quote on this team. For those who don't know the reference, there's a tweet out there saying every NFL position tweets differently, that the quarterback always tweets something inspirational, and that I, I forget what the standard is for the running backs and the tight ends. But the joke is 
wide receivers are always tweeting something that's stirring things up on social media. Like, what is it? Speaks proudly and hold the knife. Did I get yeah, that right? Like the enemy moves silently with the knife and the, with the knife in the darkness or something, something like that. And 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 if Julio were to do that, he'd I, how would he reframe that if he was a wide receiver? Like, <laughs> like the haters move move in the dark behind you, and 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 I prove them wrong or something like that. Keep hating. Something like that. Except I think Julio's the quarterback of this team. So I don't think it's him that's going to put out the wide receiver quote. The question is who on this team would put out the wide receiver quote? If George Kirby was more social, I would say him. (laughs) Maybe him. Maybe Kelnick would do it. There's not that many, I feel like. I feel like Jared's more of a running back. Yeah, along those uh, Along those running back lines. Cryptic. Hmm. Well, I just think about, remember, again, and, and as we've talked about on the show, you know I'm a Kelnick stan, you know I'm a fan of his game, you know I think he's one of the most misunderstood players in baseball. We talked about that on just a couple shows ago. But if we're just talking about cryptic tweets, remember in 2020, he had that one post that just said SMH because he wasn't happy that he didn't get yeah. called up during the COVID season? That's kind of a wide receiver t- quote. That was. He's evolved, though, from a wide receiver to a running back, which yes. if he was in the NFL for his paycheck, that would be awful. But in, in terms of baseball, in terms of the messaging he's putting out on social media, I would say that's along the lines of a good evolution. I feel like it's kind of hard to find a true wide receiver level of cryptic messaging among any player in Major League Baseball. It, it, like the, the drama and culture, I would say, of baseball is significantly toned down. Yeah, maybe the only ones could have been if Brian Reynolds had put out a social media post right when he requested a trade that was some cryptic line, or if Jock Peterson or Tommy Pham had posted something right after they got punched in the face over fantasy football and was throwing shade at one or the other. That's about the drama that goes on in baseball. There is nowhere near the level of drama on the diamond that happens in the NFL or in the NBA. Now, what if Antonio Brown decided to start playing baseball? Then we would get some some cryptic some cryptic tweets. I hear he's got a lot of free time nowadays. Isn't he busy owning an arena football league team that's about to go no, broke? Didn't they evict him from ownership? Because he wasn't <laughs> paying. He wasn't paying anybody. <laughs> oh yeah, uh, yeah. He he would give some good quotes and tweets if he played baseball. Although I don't think he'd last very long in Major League Baseball. No, I don't think so either. It is a it is a fun exercise to think about, but that just kind of shows you just the dulled down personalities of a lot of of a lot of baseball player, and it it makes sense for such a such an old and I would say traditional sport. If you're listening to this and you have a take on who you think on the Mariners would put out wide receiver quotes, send it to us. You can DM it to us, reply to any of our tweets, let us know. Participate in the exercise with us. Who on this Mariners team is putting out? cryptic wide receiver level tweets or Instagram posts. Let us know. Let's get to our Mariners storylines. The Mariners kicked off the trade deadline acquisition flurry, we hope, uh, by trading for a reliever. Lyle, this is the second DFA'd reliever they have traded for in the last month. Are you excited? More than the last one. So they acquired Trent Thornton. He's a right-handed reliever from the Blue Jays. It was a low-cost move for the Mariners. They give up Mason McCoy in return, who we saw a lot of in spring training. We thought early in the season he might get called up. Instead, it was Jose Caballero and the rest is history. So he goes back to the Blue Jays. But for a guy that was DFA'd, just looking at his stuff, you know, 
there's something I can buy there. I watched some highlights of what he was throwing out of that right hand, and oh boy, it, it's it's interesting. His stuff spins a lot. His fastball spin is in the top 11% of baseball. His uh, curveball spin is, I think, 96th or 97th percentile. It's it's way up there. I mean, he really spins the baseball. The problem is he just wasn't getting very many results with it. His expected ERA last season when he pitched a full season, 46 innings in the Blue Jays' bullpen was over five and striking out under 20% of batters. So the stuff might have not been utilized a lot, and maybe he does end up just being a triple-A arm because he can't control it. He is already 29, and you, sometimes if you figure stuff out, you had figured it, figured it out by 29. But there is some intrigue there when you, you know, not too many guys spin the ball like that, right? When you're in the top 10%, 10% of doing something, that leaves the the door open to, to some improvement there. So we'll see, you know, what happens with this. It's going to be intriguing and some more depth in that bullpen. When the Mariners trade for a reliever, my eyes always widen because I pay attention to it. As we know, if there's anything the Mariners have proved over the last three years, they just pump out relievers like nobody's business. Look at Justin Topa. Topa didn't have many results on a big league mound before this season. The Mariners bought what he was throwing, and now he's turned into one of the best relievers in that bullpen. Now, I think the same can be applied here with Thornton, because when you look at that stuff, it's not just that curveball spin. It's not just the sweeper that he throws. It's a really good pitch. You watch that fastball, and it's got ridiculous arm side run. There was a couple highlights that I watched of him throwing that fastball that was just moving like a wiffle ball. Now, he's going to start in Tacoma, and we'll see if he gets up at any point this year, next year, whatever you may have it. But I am always intrigued when the Mariners acquire a bullpen arm because when they do, it says to me they see something that screams effective reliever. It'd be interesting to see how they would utilize his pitch mix because it seemed like the Blue Jays, in in the brief time he was in the big leagues this year, just five and a third innings, adjusted his, I would say, pitch mix. His sweeper, which he threw nearly 38% of the time in 2022, dropped it down to 19% of the time. His curveball, which we highlighted, the spin is fantastic on that pitch, jumped it up 7% from 15% to 22%. That sinker with the arm side run, he only threw it 4% of the time in 2022, but jumped it up to 17% in 2023 in that brief little expenditure in the big leagues. So that's now throwing those three pitches pretty much equal amount of the time while throwing his fastball nearly the same amount at 38%. I'd be interested to see what the Mariners think of that arsenal, if there's anything they would tweak there and something they want him throwing significantly more, but that's why they test it out in Tacoma. If I were a betting man, I can tell you exactly what they're going to tell him to throw more of. It's the same thing they tell all their right-handed relievers to throw more of. Throw more sweepers. That's what they tell all their righties, throw more sweepers, and it seems to work. So we'll see what he does in Tacoma, but if I had to guess you're going to see Trent Thornton throwing more sweepers in a Mariners uniform and a Rainier's uniform. And I'd probably think more sinkers too mm-hmm. along the lines of pretty much everyone else, but Paul Seawald throwing something that is going to induce soft contact on the ground. Correct. So we'll see what he does again. He may be a nothing burger. He may be really good when the Mariners trade for a bullpen arm. I always pay attention because you just never know. Second storyline here. As we approach the deadline, the Mariners have not made any significant trades yet. The three guys that have been talked about in terms of could they potentially get moved? Paul Seawald, Tom Murphy, Teoscar Hernandez. Now, we talked about Seawald on our Wednesday show. You can go check that out. 
Tom Murphy, we'll see. He's a free agent at the end of the year. But we're going to highlight Teoscar Hernandez here because they have an interesting decision to make, which is do they keep Teoscar around? And if they do, does that inspire him to potentially re-sign here next winter? Should they keep him around? Yes, because I still think this team could potentially make a run. So trading away one of your three starting outfielders seems like a poor decision-making on that part. Second of all, I was trying to think about this. Can you name a player who was traded away at the deadline, hit free agency, and then returned to the team that traded him? I can think of one. Aroldis Chapman in 2016. He went from the Yankees to the Cubs, hit free agency. The uh, the brilliance of, of, of Brian Cashman, this is one of his better moves, gets Glaber Torres back from the Cubs and then gets Chapman to sign back in the offseason. So he gets both Chapman under con- under a long-term contract and Glaber Torres on uh, on that 2017 Yankees team, which turned out to be pretty good and led to a pretty good three-year stretch of Yankee baseball. But that's kind of what I thought about, and I don't know if I can think of anyone else who got traded away at the deadline and then re-signed with that same team in the offseason. It doesn't happen very often. And it's because what the message sends to the player is well, maybe you don't believe in me. So it's not going to motivate them to go sign with the team that just traded them away. Even as much as Teoscar has been uh, accoladed and and kind of brought into this clubhouse and has gelled right with the entire team since the day he got here, which is awesome. The club trades him away. He's not going to be motivated. Along with the fact that, say they decide to trade him. Are they really getting a return package that's going to help any time in the near future? I don't think whatever they're getting back for Teoscar Hernandez is moving the needle. Not only is it rental, but his stock is as low as possible. So you just kind of, you look at that and you're probably not getting all that much back. And then you can think of it in the future sense of, well, who's then playing right field next year? I have a list of free agent outfielders, Lyle. Are you jumping up and down for any of... Jock Peterson, Michael Conforto, potentially player option. Charlie Blackman, Cody Bellinger, mutual option, probably too expensive. Mark Canna, Michael Brantley, Hunter Renfro, Joey Gallo, Randy Grichik, Kike Hernandez, potentially, and or Kevin Kiermeyer. Like, no. If you're going to throw J.D. Martinez or Jorge Soler into the mix, I would say they are not outfielders. They're DHs. Because here's where the outfield stands next year once the offseason begins. Julio and Kelnick are penciled in. You've got two outfielders. There is a gaping hole once Teoscar hits free agency at that third spot. Now, you could say Cade Marlowe. You could say Taylor Trammell. I like both of those guys. I think they're probably more fourth outfielders. You could say Jonathan Classe. I would say for a team that is in a contention window, to throw that on a rookie that still has some developing to do, clearly in double A by looking at his numbers, is not a smart business decision. So that leaves a spot that you have to go sign. And from everybody you just named, no, I don't think any of those guys are an upgrade over Teoscar Hernandez. I would rather just get Teo back because, okay, I don't know if his value is at an all-time low, especially since he's started to hit a little bit better recently. It's not as low as it was in April and May, but it's also not the level that it was in Toronto where you're getting that much of a haul back. I also believe that he's going to turn it around next year, even more so to what he... more so to what he's done since June and on, because that's more the Teoscar Hernandez that's established himself as one of the really good power hitters in this league. If you don't want Teoscar Hernandez on this team next year, then I would understand your reasoning for wanting to trade him. I know there's a big contingent of Mariner fans who are okay letting him walk. And I understand that. 
his offensive profile, not necessarily one that ages great. A lot of power, not a whole lot of plate discipline, and it's just kind of it's kind of a one trick pony at the plate with uh, with with the discipline numbers and and the swing decisions and making contact in the zone and all these and all these other things. And I understand that, but as of right now, I think the best option for the Mariners in the outfield next year is having Teoscar Hernandez out there. So in that retrospect, I think it benefits both the team this year and the team next year to keep him on the roster through the deadline. There's just nobody in that outfield group that really stands out and says, this is an upgrade. The one guy you can talk about, and I thought we'd dive in just a little bit here, is Cody Bellinger, who's having a really good year. He's about to hit free agency. He took that one-year deal and gambled on himself with the Cubs. He's about to get big money. Now, I don't know who it's going to be from. He's going to get a big contract because of this year. And personally, I do not want it to be from the Mariners because there has just been too much inconsistency throughout his career where I look at him and say, I am comfortable giving him a lot of money to make a consistent impact on this team. No, I'd rather just let him go somewhere else and bring Teoscar back. Would you rather pay Teoscar five for 90 or Cody? What kind of contract is he going to get? Five for 120, 130? I don't think Teoscar's getting five for 90 at this point. I think I think his deal would be similar to what Mitch Hanniger gets, except Teoscar's on the field more and probably plays a little bit better defense. I think you'll see Teoscar get a contract somewhere along the lines of three years from 45 to $50 million. And if that's the case, yeah, I'm bringing him back if I'm the Mariners. I think that's reasonable. Mm-hmm. I think Cody's like net value is probably somewhere like a little bit like take 15% off what he's doing right now. And that's probably where Cody's at. But the thing Cody does well, he plays unbelievable defense. He is a supreme defender. He's better in the outfield than Teoscar. We've seen Teoscar have his fair share of gaffes in right field this season, despite it being an overall net positive in the outfield. And the upside is just frankly higher. The dude has an MVP. Like we're we're not going to take that away from him. He did win National League MVP in 2019. He does have that upside in him. And that's why I think, you know, Especially if you miss out on that big two-way guy, a, a big splash like Cody Ballinger wouldn't be a, a wouldn't be a terrible decision. If you firmly believe that Teoscar Hernandez will not age well, and you would rather try something else, I just can't get over the eighty OPS plus that he put up just a season ago, along with the forty-four OPS plus and one sixty-five average, five forty-two OPS that he put up in twenty twenty-one. I know he's turned it around this year. I know he has an MVP in his back pocket, but I cannot ignore what happened the two seasons prior. That, to me, is just too much inconsistency and downward play to hand a guy $20 million, where you know for the most part what you'll get from Teoscar Hernandez. And in the next three years, I don't think he's just going to fall off if that's the deal he gets. So if I'm the Mariners, I am not trading him. And personally, I feel a little bit safer with bringing back Teo than gambling on Bellinger. I, I do think, again, like a nice happy medium of Cody Bellinger in between what he's doing this year and what he did. Let's say, because that the numbers he put up the two previous years are astronomically low. So I, w- I would bring it up a little bit. So somewhere halfway between the num- the low numbers that's brought up a little bit and the, the numbers he's doing right now, which again is good. It's not his MVP level, but there is definitely some value in Cody Bellinger. And I think the market is going to agree with that decision. And that's why there's going to be some bidding on him. And 
frankly, that might be that's probably the reason alone why the Mariners wouldn't get Cody Bellinger. A because convincing him to come here would be difficult, and unfortunately, the Mariners don't really get in a bidding war for players, and we that's been pretty eminent the last couple of off seasons that they just will not do that, and. Whether it works or whether it doesn't, you know, that's to to everyone's belief. I think you might also be lowballing what his contract could be because when you look at this class of outfielders, he's going to be the best one, and his services will be in high demand. So in that sense, when you combine that between the fact he's having an unbelievable year this year, OPS over nine hundred, OPS plus is one forty one, so he's forty one percent better than league average, plays good defense or very good defense, and is only going to be in his age twenty eight season next year. You could be looking closer to six for 120 to 130 rather than the five for close to 100 that you were talking about. I think that price could be jumped up for Bellinger in the offseason. And that's why if it's that versus three for 45 for Teoscar, roughly, I think I'm siding with the idea of bringing Teo back. And then, as we all know, this is a conversation itself, but spend a billion dollars on that two-way guy. It's interesting. I think this is a conversation we should pocket for the offseason because I'm sure we'll have some uh, some time we need to fill. And I think this is a very, very valid discussion when it comes to filling that outfield hole next season because as it stands to Oscar, no matter what, will be an, will be a free agent in the offseason. All right, Lyle, let's go down on the farm. This fall, stream your favorites and discover more with Disney Plus, Hulu, and ESPN Plus together. Watch the highly anticipated new season of Loki and see the ghosts materialize in Haunted Mansion on Disney Plus. Catch more frights with the Boogeyman and American Horror Story Delicate on Hulu. And on ESPN Plus, get into the action with college football and NFL. All of these and more streaming now. Get the Disney Bundle with plans starting at $9.99 a month. Plans with ESPN Plus starting at $14.99 a month. Terms apply. See DisneyBundle.com for details. Who you got this week? A little bit different. It is not a young gun. It's somebody that's just gotten back and healthy, and I wanted to highlight him because we are fans of his, Mariners fans are fans of his, and I'm really happy to see him get back out on the mound. It's Casey Sadler. So he's made a couple outings in the Arizona Complex League, He's made a couple outings now with the Everett Aqua Sox in high A. He just got activated to the Tacoma Rainiers roster a day or two ago because he is signed to a minor league deal. Now, his first few outings have not been great, which is probably what's expected. He is coming back from major shoulder surgery, and he's had a few setbacks. But just to see him get back out on the mound, I think it's awesome. He's an easy guy to root for. We know when he's at his best, he has great stuff. And overall, I'm just happy for him. I I hope he figures it out and, and gets back to at least some form of what he used to be. Yeah, we did talk in the offseason that could he actually be a part of this bullpen? It's it's a conversation that might be a little more realistic if he's still in the organization next season. I don't know about this season. I feel like there might be a couple guys they might rely on rely upon a little more, especially if they were going to give Perlander Burrow another shot. I feel like that's his spot, along with what they could potentially do at the deadline. As we know, good deadline relievers aren't all that expensive. So that kind of leaves Casey Sadler in a in a bit of a predicament, and he also really just hasn't pitched much over the last year and a half. He's got a lot of a lot of time to get back and a lot of feel to get back, which will uh, will be interesting. But 
we're rooting for him. We're re- we really are, and he he's going to get the the tough test of pitching in the PCL. Thankfully, though, he is a sinker baller. How about Emerson Hancock, Lyle? Emerson went into the All Star break with his worst outing in the season. He pitched an inning in two thirds and gave up nine earned runs. Since then, he pitched thirteen consecutive shutout innings, four hits allowed. 14 strikeouts and one walk. I mean, it seems like the break did its job because Emerson came back with arguably his best two-game stretch of the season. And as the Mariners are going to push to a six-man rotation here in August to try and lighten the load of innings on Bryce Miller and Brian Wu, they don't acquire a starter. It very well might be Emerson Hancock who gets his first taste of big league baseball, and he's peaking at the right time in the minor leagues to do so. Who would the other options even be? Maybe Tommy Malone, maybe Darren McCacken. But if you're going for upside and you're serious about winning, it feels like it has to be Emerson Hancock. Yeah, I would think so. Or or someone you trade for. Because, I, I mean, we've we've seen like a number five starter would be pretty valuable to this team if they were to trade for one. If they have not traded for a starter by the Monday deadline and if Marco Gonzalez does not get back in the near future, feels like it's going to be Emerson. Now, the only thing I will say is his numbers at Dickie Stevens Park, where the Arkansas Travelers play their home games, is much better than his numbers on the road. Maybe that's something to take into account. But overall, I think he's getting closer and closer to getting his first taste of big league action, like you just said. I just think with the year he's had this year, where I know there's been some ups and downs, but there's been a lot of positive in his season, the stuff he brings and the upside he has just feels like that may be the play over going with McCacken or Malone. Thankfully, his big league team plays in the park with the uh, lowest park factor for hitters in baseball. So, you know, a bit of, an, a bit of a, a similar circumstance there. If, if you went down to Dickie Stevens Park, I'm sure it would rate similar across all the, all the ballparks in the Texas League. For sure. And again, I hope he gets a shot. I'd be excited to see him. I think he could help this ball club. I think he could help manage the innings of Wu and Miller. And then, man, this whole stable of young pitchers would all be up in the big leagues together, which would be pretty cool to see Logan, Kirby, Hancock, Miller, Wu all pitching in a rotation. I mean, that right there is a sign that what the Mariners are doing with drafting and developing arms is working. That's a dream for any front office, really, to see pitchers picked in four consecutive drafts all pitching in your rotation at the same time. But that just doesn't happen very often. You don't get the volume of arms, especially all starters of volume of arms up in the rotation at the same time, but it's possible. It's very possible. Let's transition to our MLB wraparound here. We've got a couple of storylines to touch on. The first one... It was a busy weekend in Cooperstown this past weekend. Hall of Fame inductions going on. Scott Rowland, Fred McGriff both get their moment in the spotlight. Pretty cool for both those guys. It is, and especially for Fred McGriff, who got voted in on by the Veterans Committee after falling off the ballot for 10 years of not getting in from the Baseball Writers Association. You know, thinking while <laughs> I did forget to ask Matt Calkins, uh, the the feelings he felt when he posted his uh, Hall of Fame ballot on his Twitter account in uh, in December, I love I, lo- I love uh, getting a good picture of a Hall of Fame ballot. Anyways, back to back to this subject. It is really good for both of them. Two very 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 good baseball players. Scott Rowland, one of the best defenders of all time at third base, um, and it's good to see them. You know, and Rowland too, uh, kind of similar uh, of um, of uh, Fred McGriff that. 
you know, he on the first ballot, he got 10%. Was 10%? Yeah, 10.2%. The lowest percentage on a first ballot for a guy who eventually got in the Hall of Fame. It's pretty impressive. So it's good that his image got uh, rehabbed on the ballot a little bit more. Now they're both Cooperstown bound. I got to ask a follow-up question. Matt has a Hall of Fame vote? I didn't know that. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, he, he posted it on his Twitter account. And I love the running joke of like, like the euphoria that baseball writers feel when they're able to snap a picture of their ballot and say, look who I left out of the Hall of Fame this year. <laughs> and I think that would have been appropriate for Matt. It's like, okay, Matt, did, did you feel a sense of pride by saying, yeah, we're, uh, I'm leaving all of these guys out of the Hall of Fame this year? If we have but, him back on, that'll, that'll have to be a follow-up question. Yeah. <laughs> if you vote for the Hall of Fame, you should be required to have your vote be public. I think it's ridiculous that it's not. And if people are not voting for Ken Griffey Jr., like the three people, whoever they are, that did not vote for him, you should have to show your face and say, I did not vote for him. Here's why. I think it's ridiculous at this yes. point that writers don't have to post their ballots. And there should be a minimum number of votes you're required to cast. Mm-hmm. I believe Matt only did two. I'll have to recheck on that. But I believe he only he only checked two boxes on his ballot. My favorite ballots are the ones that get sent in blank. And it's like, I'm taking a stand. So you, you really showed him, didn't you? We need Barry Bonds and Roger Clemens to get grandfathered in. Not just because they deserve it, but the discourse on Twitter of all these old boomer writers who would be screaming and complaining about it would just be popcorn worthy material i would grab a bucket of popcorn sit down on my couch kick my feet up and just scroll twitter for probably an hour straight and see all the people complaining i'm, I'm curious who else you think is going to get in after this uh, uh, todd helton i think is going to eventually get in he's at 72 percent on the ballot he's got a very interesting case billy wagner's at 68 percent. andrew jones at 58 percent. i'm honestly kind of on the train that andrew jones might not be a hall of famer after seeing a bit of a breakdown of his career, not a little bit before my time. So getting a little bit of a breakdown of Andrew Jones kind of, kind of makes sense to I me. Mean, A-Rod's in the mid thirties. He's not going to get in. Manny's not going to get in. Those are hall of fame caliber players who got busted for PEDs. So that's kind of, kind of understandable. But as our listeners know, Lionar are in big favor of having a steroid wing in the hall of fame. Like let them have their own chapter. Like they cheated. Yes. Put them in the, put them in their own wing. The Hall of Fame is meant to tell a story, and you're leaving some of the best players to ever play this game out of the biggest story of ma- the bigger picture story of Major League Baseball. Like it's a history, museum. Me- history museum, history <laughs> museum. Yeah, you can't have a history museum and say, "Oh, the guy that hit the most home runs of all time." Yeah, uh, uh, we pretend like he doesn't exist. Oh, that guy Roger Clemens that won seven Cy Youngs. We're gonna pretend like he doesn't exist too. Ridiculous. Do, do they leave certain figures out of World War II museums because they didn't like them? No. No. Nope. It's a history. No, they don't. Tell us a story. Now, I will say, I think Helton gets in eventually. I think there's two guys that'll be new on next year's ballot that will have a shot to get in first ballot. Well, I think Beltre's a lock, so he's one of the new ones. Adrian Beltre will absolutely be a first ballot Hall of Famer. Joe Maurer, I would argue, is a first ballot Hall of Famer. I'm not sure he gets in on the first ballot. It may take him a few tries, but I absolutely think he is eventually a Hall of Famer. The guys that are on the ballot right now that haven't gotten in, probably help, like you said. Yeah, Billy Wagner maybe. Oh, yeah, Billy Wagner I think should get in too. He's one of the best relievers ever. Last thing here on McGriff, I guess I haven't given my two cents on him yet. You touched on Roland. 
Fred McGriff, I always thought was a Hall of Famer and didn't really get the respect he deserved for a long time. I mean, the guy had six top 10 MVP finishes, just shy of 2,500 hits, just shy, just shy of 500 homers. He also had a 900 OPS or better in eight different seasons. If, if you saw that today out of any player, you'd say he's a Hall of Famer. McGriff was a little bit before our time, like just a little bit. We didn't get to see him in his prime. But you put up numbers like that, I think that's a Hall of Fame player. That is true. That is true. All right, next up on our docket here on the MLB Wraparound. This is kind of a combo one. We're going to go down to Orange County and and focus on the Angels. In, in the combined stretch of 24 hours, the Angels announce that Shohei Otani is off the market at the trade deadline, and then they go swing a deal for Ronaldo Lopez and Lucas Giolito. They're buyers, dog. They're trying to make the playoffs. They're trying. Did you? <laughs> I, I can't stop laughing at that John Heyman tweet, by the way, after the trade yesterday where he says, Angels are now clearly buyers. Like, yeah, yeah, they are. They just made a trade for a guy that's on a rental in Lucas Giolito and Ronaldo Lopez. Yes, they are buyers. Like, thank you, Captain Obvious. A rental, like, Giolito's been pretty much league average this year as a starting pitcher. So a league average starting pitcher that's a rental and a reliever for – the Angels' number two and three prospects, one of them being in the top 100, which is the catcher whose name I don't have up right now. But it, he Logan Ohapi. I mean, he was in the big leagues this year, and then he got hurt. No, it was the other one. Oh, you're talking about who just got traded? Yes. Caro. Yeah, right. Him. He was like number 55, I think, in the pipeline top 100. But very inter- that's a bit of a high price for the Angels, and they already have, via fan graphs, the 29th ranked farm system in baseball. And they say they're going to keep buying. I'm just not sure what exactly they're going to trade to go get something for Shohei. And if that's really enough to make up the ground in the wild card, that is, uh, that is necessary. Their biggest addition would probably be getting Mike Trout back, who is still working his way back. Last week, he got his stitches out of his hand when he, after he broke his handmate bone a couple months ago. So that's interesting. It'll be something to keep an eye on. Uh, and I think the other next biggest addition will be Anthony Rendon not coming back. Okay, so the two guys that were sent back, just to give people the full names, Edgar Caro, 20-year-old catcher, he's in double-A, and then Kai Bush, left-handed pitcher, who's also in double-A. Those were the Angels' number two and three prospects. Now, their farm system sucks, but those were their number two and three prospects that they just sent back for two rental pieces. I got to say, too, Lucas Giolito has not been in his peak form in 2023. He's been pretty whatever. His ERA sits around four. His peripherals aren't great. They're not trading for half a season of Zach Greinke or whoever, the way the Astros did when they went and got him in 2019 when Greinke was still pitching really well. This feels like a middle-of-the-rotation starter that maybe moves the needle slightly, and a reliever in Ronaldo Lopez, who's been good in the past, but same thing, is not having some all-star season this year and maybe fits in in the middle innings. Maybe they try to use him in the 7th or 8th. This isn't really moving the needle for me in terms of trying to go out and buy pieces to win. Yes, it's a buying move. I don't know how much it's going to do, especially when you're already four and a half out of the wild card. Sounds like an angel starter to me. Sounds like an angel starter. So they're going to buy, and there's talks about them trying to trade for Jamer Candelario too. But if they miss the playoffs, they just took a big swing and a miss, and I think it is going to have effects on them for a long time. 
And I thought it was interesting that Artie Moreno took Shohei off the market with five days. How many days we got? We have now four days, essentially four whole days remaining until the deadline. You never, I, I feel like you don't want to show your hand that early. You want to, if like, if someone absolutely blows you away with an offer for Shohei, I mean, how do you say no to that? It's, if you firmly don't believe he won't, uh, if he won't resign now, Artie Moreno doesn't exactly have a track record of, of having everything buttoned up and understanding everything. So perhaps he just saw a way over this. But what if someone offered you the hall of a lifetime for Shohei that could really turn around your organization? And you instead decide to go out, get a bunch of rentals just to fall three games short of the playoffs. And then all of a sudden, Otani's out the door and Mike Trout is left with a barren roster around him. And then he's, like you said, like looks around and says, you know what? I think I'm done here. So let's just parlay what you said and bring back what I was talking about at the end, saying I think this is going to have effects on the Angels for a long time. Because they're going all in. Somewhat to try and buy pieces. If they miss the playoffs this year, we know Otani's gone. He might be gone even if they make the first round of the playoffs and lose. So if Otani's gone, you have dumped your farm system. You're not drafting and developing well. That leaves you with what? Mike Trout. Now, you could have gone and gotten four top 100 prospects for Otani. Something like that. Or two to three top 100 prospects and a real young big leaguer. With actual upside for Otani, you decided not to do that. I got to tell you, if this goes how we think it's going to go, which is Angels miss the playoffs, Otani walks in free agency, how in the world is Mike Trout not requesting a trade at that point? Because this team for the next at least five years is in big trouble, and they're not going to be doing anything remotely close to competing. I think if this all goes down the drain, Trout's requesting a trade, and the Angels are going to be winning about 60 games a year. We're going to be talking about a franchise that had two of the greatest players to ever grace planet Earth on their team at the same time. Combined to make the playoffs zero times and in Trout's entire over-decade-long career with the Angels, they will have appeared in three playoff games and lost all of them. What a resume. Good job, Artie. Could, could you imagine what people in the basketball world would talk about if LeBron and Kevin Durant, both in their primes, played seven years together. Or wait, when did Otani get here? What, so 18, 19, 20, 21, 22. Yeah, okay, five years together. Six years, six years. Six years together and miss the playoffs every single year. There would be people standing up on their desk and screaming. It's not a perfect comparison, though, because basketball, Kevin Durant and LeBron can shoot the ball every time down the court. Shohei can only bat one of nine times and pitch one of every six times. It's not It's not a perfect comparison, but I think it is a comparison in the sense of you didn't make the playoffs once, one time, one time with those two. Yeah. Organizational malpractice. That's what that is. I can confidently say that. Well, at least Anthony Rendon is going to be a fun guy to have in the clubhouse for the next few years when they're going to be really bad. I think what we found out the most during this stretch is how much of a, of a D-bag Anthony Rendon actually is. I mean, <laughs> overpaid, injured, mediocre when he's on the field, and also just an asshole. What, when he tried to fight that A's fan in the stands, that didn't that didn't send a message to you that he's a guy that everybody wants in their clubhouse? 
Yeah, I wonder. I wonder if we got Trout off the record and asked him what he actually thinks of Rendon. I'd, I'd be curious to hear that. Doesn't sound like doesn't sound like Anthony Rendon gets a glowing rep from any of the Angels beat writers that cover him on a day to day basis. That team's in big trouble. If they make the playoffs, good for them. I don't think they're going to do much with it. And if they miss the playoffs, they're in big time trouble going forward. And we're going to circle back to this certainly in the off season when the Otani sweepstakes start. Third storyline here. There were a couple trades that went on on the other side of Southern California. If we go down to actual Los Angeles, not Orange County, the Dodgers make two trades. And they're kind of interesting trades. They're trying to get some infield help. So they go get Kike Hernandez and create a reunion with him. And they also trade Noah Syndergaard to the Guardians to go and get Ahmed Rosario. So here's the Dodgers situation. They had Miguel Rojas at short. He's stunk this year at the plate. He's just been atrocious. So the Dodgers go out and they acquire the via Statcast the two worst defensive shortstops in baseball. Kike Hernandez has been one of the worst players in baseball by war this year. And if, and Ahmed Rosario saw the stat the other day that I don't have written down is one of like what three players with. Uh, negative, uh, I, I forget if it was negative defensive run save and an OPS under 680. Oh, I know the tweet you're talking about. Yeah. No, it was, it was com- comparing Kike Hernandez and Ahmed Rosario together, saying they're two of the only players in baseball that have negative six outs above average or worse, and also both have an OPS below 680. And that's the two guys the Dodgers went and acquired. Look, I know Ahmed Rosario was phenomenal last year. But his defense has been really bad. The offense has not taken another step forward. They're, it's just a rental piece in Rosario, but man, this is a little bit of a head-scratcher of a move for a team that's trying to win. I'm just wondering what yeah, what exactly they're doing. They, they probably see, Maybe they see something. The Dodgers are a kind of organization like this. They see something that they think they can fix. Okay. But on the outside... Did you actually get better at shortstop? I know you didn't really have to give up all that much, but did you actually get better? I don't think so. Not like shortstops are really readily available, especially good ones at the trade deadline, but mm, this is tough. There wasn't many options out there either. Tim Anderson has not had a good year. Obviously, Rosario hasn't had a good year. It's not exactly your cream of the crop to pick from. So they had to do something. And obviously the Gavin Lux injury all the way back in spring training kind of destroyed their plans at shortstop to begin with this year. But I don't know what Rosario is going to do as a solution here. Now, I think this trade just ends up being a throwaway for both teams because Noah Syndergaard doesn't have much left in the tank from what we've seen. He has not had a good year. He has been injured. He just hasn't been the same guy that he once was with the Mets. Maybe the Guardians think they can unlock something with him. Doesn't seem likely, though. No, no. And it, it'll be interesting to see, but this is kind of kind of a shoulder shrug move. The Dodgers have been one of the more aggressive teams so far as the trade deadline has rolled up, but I'm excited to see what's going to happen over this weekend and what happens on Monday. It's going to be it's going to be an exciting deadline, I think. I hope. I hope. I really hope it's not a boring deadline. <laughs> there should definitely be more to update by the next time we do a podcast, which by the way, this feels like a good time to just do a little bit of a programming note for people. So next week, we're going to have our guest on Friday. TJ and I are just going to do an episode, just the two of us for Wednesday's show, where we're going to break down whatever else happens with the Mariners at the deadline. We're going to break down the rest of baseball's trade deadline. And then we're going to have our guest on for Friday's show, which 
kind of works out a little bit better just so we can dissect everything that's happened with the Mariners and the trade deadline. And again, as always, we always try to keep it consistent now with the two shows a week that we're going to have our guests on on Wednesdays and just be the two of us doing everything else on Fridays. Obviously, sometimes with guests too, with their scheduling, with schedule coordinating and, and whatever's going on in their world and our world too, sometimes it'll mix and match. But again, just for this week, we're going to have the guest show on Friday. So just make note of that. All right, let's get to our Russell Wilson umpire of the week. Well, what do you got? We're staying in Mariners world for this one, and I've been waiting to talk about this. So Emil Jimenez, who was behind the plate during that Saturday Mariners-Blue Jays game, was absolutely atrocious. This guy missed, yes, count him up, 16 calls behind the plate in terms of balls and strikes. He missed 16 balls and strikes calls behind home plate during the Mariners' win on Saturday. That is 3.6% below average in terms of relative accuracy, which is really bad. He was 4% below league average on called ball accuracy. He was also 4% below league average on called strike accuracy. He was 4% below league average, tongue twisters, on overall accuracy. So to sum it all up, what a disgraceful outing on Saturday. And somehow nobody got tossed. Somehow. I, I, I think we were watching this game and like somebody's going to blow a gasket. And by some miracle of the baseball gods, nobody got tossed. Somehow. I, in terms of ranking and percentile, accuracy for the game was fourth percentile. Accuracy above expected. Third, consistency 12th. Total run impact 8th. And overall for the season, he has had a pretty poor season in terms of accuracy, accuracy above expected, and consistency, which most players, all they ask for an umpire is to be consistent, and he didn't even do that. What, what, would, you call the, uh, what would you call this? So they highlight on the on the umpire auditor, they, they highlight like the general area, what the strike zone that was essentially called. You can see it on your screen because I assume you have the you have the 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 tweet or whatever up from Umpire Auditor that highlighted the strike zone. What would you call the shape of his strike zone? I would call the shape Angel Hernandez. It looks like it literally looks like a ghost with a tail. That's what I think <laughs> it looks like. Like you have the ghost head here on the left, and like in the top outside corner. And then there's this blank space right in the middle of the strike zone, which is white, where there were no the less strikes called. And then it pops back up with this tail here on the uh, inside corner to lefties. It really is fascinating if you if you think about it. It's like, well, does it resemble does it resemble something like this? Then players can deal with that. But it literally goes like this, and then there's a tail here, and then it goes. It's ah, oh, so it's quite something to look at. Mariners players were pissed during that game. Rightfully so, they were pissed. Get the challenge system into the big leagues, please. I will keep harping it. By the way, if we've been doing these segments and you have sat there and thought to yourself, you guys haven't done Angel Hernandez one time this year, speak of the devil, since we just brought him up. Well, he has not been umping in the big leagues this year. In fact, I know somebody who sent me a post, and it was a parody post that said, Angel Hernandez has missed zero balls or strikes calls this year. And somehow the person who sent it to me fell for it. And it's like, no way. They were like, how is this even possible? And I said to him, you know, he hasn't umped any games this year, right? And he's like, 
Well, that would make a lot more sense. What's he been doing? I don't know, but now he's umping minor league games as if he's on a rehab assignment or something, which, look out, winter is coming. Mm. If he gets back into the big leagues, oh boy, he'll be on this segment. We can promise you that. Week one. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, he is the worst. But Emil Jimenez, for the sake of this week's Russell Wilson ump of the week, he was not seeing over the middle. That is what he qualified as failure to do. To receive the award this week because quite literally there is a blank spot in the middle. Literally. Sad. I think Emil needs Sean Payton. That's what he needs. Well, if you listen to Sean Payton's comments, he makes it sound <laughs> like everything's gonna be just bright and roses in Denver. I know. Except Emil Jimenez can't throw Nathaniel Hackett under the bus. Yeah, it was all his fault. It was to Sean yep. Payton. It was. Man. We may have some speak your mind stories out of Denver this season again, just how we did last winter. Okay. Speaking of speak your mind, let's get to that right now. Speak your mind, Spock. That would be unwise. What is necessary is never unwise. I think you've got a lot of things to talk about this week, TJ. So I'll just give you the floor. All right, what, what do we want to start with here? Um, I guess let's start with music. We are going to get an unreal music Friday, or technically tonight for us here on the West Coast. Uh, about six hours from right now, recording here on Thursday afternoon, we have an album coming out tonight that we've been waiting for for five years now, with Travis Scott's Utopia coming out tonight. And then Post Malone as well is going to drop at the same time, which is an artist I've really gotten to like a whole lot more over the last... I'd say four years and they're going to drop at the same time tonight. And I don't think I've been more excited for a music weekend since Travis dropped Astroworld five years ago. You know what I remember about when he dropped Astroworld five years ago, we were on the Cape league. We we were with different teams. For those who don't know, I was with Hyannis. TJ was with YD. They were playing each other that night and we were hours away from getting Astroworld. And after the game, we're just standing around talking about it like, oh, 90 minutes to go or 75 minutes to go. And everybody else that was around us and friends with us was like, man, you guys are really counting down the minutes, aren't you? Yeah. And we're like, yep, we are. Then we went home and proceeded to play it for the next, I don't know, year and a half straight. Yeah. I've gotten I mean, some nostalgic videos sent to me of like people listening to Sicko Mode for the first time. I'm like, man, it's like <laughs> I feel the memories all coming back and it's making me miss college. That's for sure was so good. I mean, for those who don't know, Travis Scott is basically both TJ and I's favorite artists. I mean, he's like, maybe he's 1B in my world compared to Lil Uzi who's 1A, but it's so close where we've been waiting five years for him to drop this album. And for about three years now, you and I have been looking at our watches going, so is he making new music or what? Like, we're just waiting around here. And finally, he's going to drop this album. I'm trying not to set my expectations too high because I really don't want to be disappointed. Like, he had five years to do this. So, like, he better not fuck up. I mean, Kevin Durant said it's really good. So, I hope he's right. People say things all the time. Yeah, they do. I mean, normally, in a normal week of released music, I would be listening to Post Malone right away. But he is, unfortunately, this week of all weeks, going to be second. Because as much as I like Post Malone and you like him... Yeah, we've been waiting five years for Utopia, so we're going to be listening to Travis Scott the second it drops. 
it's yeah, going to be an unbelievable. It's been a good music like month and a half, I will say. I'm very, I'm very, very pleased with some of the some of the music that we've gotten. Okay, next bullet point that we just have to hit on because we do, we need to stay consistent. How about this? Uh, have you? Do you like X? No, I don't like a single thing that's happened to Twitter since Elon bought it. How much? So, how much brand value did Elon throw away with getting rid of the Twitter logo and renaming everything from tweets to now X's? How much brand value is that? Is that like I saw an estimate in the billions, and people were kind of calling it BS. I'm like, I'm not educated on that fact. I don't know how much brand value the Twitter tweet logo had, but it's not. I wouldn't imagine it's nothing, right? Of 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 uh, of rebranding Twitter. So, I. What about this other idea, Lyle, that he has that he says he's going to turn Twitter into a super app, which is going to be your your banking, your 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 shopping, your like your food delivery app, your health insurance, like all these things. And I'm thinking, I'm like, why the fuck would I give Elon Musk access to my money? (laughs) As the kids would say, that's cap. (laughs) Yeah. And the thing is, he says all these things and I'm thinking, I'm sitting here thinking, I'm like, is he just naming off things iPhones already do? Isn't it? This is essentially a super app right here. This thing right here. I have everything I ever need right here in this in this phone right here. For those of you watching on YouTube, you can see it. If you're listening, go find our YouTube channel and you see me hammering my iPhone away. Like this thing already handles all of that stuff. So why does Elon think he needs to turn a once proud website into his testing ground? Man, $44 billion he paid for this thing. And for somebody who wanted to start making money off Twitter, he ain't doing it. No, he's not. All the brand, all the brand value now is gone. Advertisers don't like advertising with him. The platform is overrun with bots and, and all these things. He, he did make one very, uh, very um, uh, drastic change to Twitter, which, uh, you know, personally, I'm sarcastically a huge fan of where now you cannot DM people if you don't have Twitter blue, if they don't follow you back. Now, this was to prevent bots, which I would get like 10 bots a day offering me crypto or whatever the whatever the hell they're trying to offer me through Twitter. And his solution to that was just to eliminate all communication between people who don't already follow each other. Thank you, Genius, for someone who likes to try and network. That was uh, was a great decision there, Elon. Is anybody actually going to call them X? Like, are people going to call the tweets no. X? Like, no. it's like it's like how when Safeco Field became T-Mobile Park, although way more drastic. Because I thought at the time when the name changed, I was like, I feel like people are just always going to call it Safeco Field. People aren't going to really call it anything else. No, well, now as time's gone on, people call it T-Mobile Park and people have gotten used to it. I don't think that's happening with Twitter. I don't think people are going to be referring to it as X in conversations. If if I start referring to it as X, I will delete my account and probably go over to probably go over to threads. I there think. you go. Once other people start leaving, I'm following them. I'm following the trail. Yeah, I'm with you. I mean, my big speak your mind this week was Utopia and Travis Scott. So that was my big talking point for the week. But it sounds like maybe you have one or two other things you want to hit on here. Okay, so we'll, we'll do sports and then non-sports to finish out. Uh, first with the sports, I just wrote LOL Pac-12. Disaster. They are a disaster. The smugness, the 
thought that everything's fine. Everything's going to be all right. Even though we still don't have a TV deal. Some context. Colorado is now going to the Big 12. It was announced. It w- I think it's confirmed now this afternoon. They're, they were doing a press conference, I think, an hour ago to confirm that decision. Uh, so the Pac-12 conference now for next season has nine teams. There is no certain. There has not been a TV deal yet. There's not been one single dollar promised to the schools for the upcoming season. Which for a new commissioner who said, "Yep, we're getting out in front of it. We're going to go grab ourselves a TV deal, and we're going to we're going to be steady and consistent without USC and UCLA." It's been well over a year since they started negotiating for TV rights. In that time span. The Big 12 essentially went behind their back and re-upped with their own partners and took up all the inventory on linear TV, which let the Pac-12 out to drive. And now there's still no numbers for Pac-12 presidents to approve from a television deal, and there's no certainty beyond next year, which is very on-brand for this conference, which thought it was getting a savior once Larry Scott left. And under George Klyovkov's watch, they have now had three teams leave and zero TVs deal, TV deals finish quite a record college football may just turn into the afc and nfc maybe the sec and the big 10 there's two big leagues and that's it and that's what the new norm is because i don't know how the pac-12 or even the big 12 to be honest with you is going to keep their head above the water with what the other two conferences are doing it's going to turn into a pro league like i'm i'm convinced whether within the next span of a tv deal or the one after that the 30 top programs in college football are going to all get together and be like, you know what? Why don't we just form our own league and the kids don't have to go to class anymore? Why not? The only thing against that is they would actually have to pay the players. What a concept. You know, maybe if they, maybe if college football never built this system of, of uh, broken economics, they wouldn't have these issues, right? You think? You're probably right, but here right? we like, are. Most bus- Most successful businesses pay their employees and have structure. College football has neither. What a disaster. It is a disaster. Um, And then the final thing I have, which is very off the cuff for us. How about this, Lyle? There was a former U.S. intelligence staffer this week, David Grush, that says the U.S., uh, under oath, by the way, so it had to be truthful, says the United States is in possession of UFOs and non-human bodies and that they have been documenting UFO activity on planet Earth since the 1930s. Does that make you feel safe? I don't know. I mean, are, are aliens dangerous or not? We don't know. I mean, the fact they admitted it is pretty crazy. Makes me wonder how nobody's seen it over the years. Here's, anywhere. My, cons- here's my conspiracy with this. I feel like UFOs and aliens, if they were to come visit us, if they had the technology to come actually visit us, I feel like they would be too advanced for our brains to even process that we're seeing them, I think. So think about it this way. If you went and time traveled back to the beginning of humanity with your iPhone and say your car, do you think the people you would see would be able to process what they're seeing with you? I guess not. It, it just, it would be a lot to comprehend. It would, it would literally be like you flying. Like that. Yeah. that's the, that's the kind of concept I think. And then they're, if we think about it, right, so humanity has been around, what, 10,000 years, something like that. And there could be another place somewhere else out in the in the universe on a planet with a little bit more steady of a climate and has been around significantly longer than humanity has been. 
say, a few million years. Think of the technology they would have opposed to us, right? Think of the kind of technology. Think of all the technology we have built in the last 50 years. Now, think of having that and then taking it another million years. Do you think our brains would be able to process what we've seen for for civilizations that had that kind of technology? I, I don't think so, right? And I think it would be kind of fascinating. I mean, it could there could be many organizations around the universe who know exactly everything we're doing. They probably know we're recording a podcast right now and they can, they have the technology to just see it from afar and don't have to do anything. So your take is maybe there's been aliens just walking down the street. They've just figured out how to morph themselves into humans and nobody thought twice about it. I wouldn't put it past it. I mean, the universe is, I mean, you can't even comprehend how big it is. If you're not telling me there's there's other things out there, I would say you're high, right? It's like, I, it's got it's gonna happen. I think. Yeah, I'm I'm curious to see where this goes. I guess we'll see if they dig any deeper into this anytime soon, or if we just kind of have to sit on it for a while. I don't know. We'll see. We will see. I think that just about wraps up this edition of the Marine Layer Podcast. You guys know the drill. If you guys want to listen to the full form podcast, you can do so on the audio side on Apple, Spotify, Google, and Amazon. If you do so, make sure to follow us, go download the episode, give us a five-star review. If you're watching on the or listening on the audio side, go watch us on YouTube. We do a bunch of stuff there. Hit subscribe, turn the notification bells on, like, comment. All that stuff helps us big time, so make sure to go do that. Social media, you can follow us on TikTok, Instagram, Twitter and YouTube shorts at Marine Layer Pod. And one final time, programming note for next week, we will do a show just TJ and I on Wednesday, recapping the entire deadline. We will have our show with our guest on Friday of next week. So that's TJ. I'm Lyle. As always, we thank you guys for tuning in. We'll talk to you soon. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low-net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands, and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co.